Okay, guys, we are uh, in Colossians. We're in Lesson 3. And we're going to look today at the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a very important lesson uh, for us. And we're going to make some notes here as we go through here. Uh, as we talk about who the person of Jesus is, because... I want you to understand, especially as we go through this lesson, so much in the last 20 years, there's been such an emphasis on the relationship that we have with Jesus. And we have an awesome relationship if you're a believer, okay? But what can happen is, is it's almost like God and Jesus are my bubba. Do you know, do you know, do you know what I'm saying? They're like my buddy, okay? Uh, and we kind of forget who he is. And we forget... The supremacy of who he is. And, and I'm just going to flat out say it to you right now. God's not your bubba. Okay? God's not your fishing buddy. Alright? He's God. The creator of the universe. Uh, the one who forgave you your sins. Who actually, in his grace and his love and his mercy, provided a way for your sins to be forgiven. Because you sure couldn't take care of it. I couldn't take care of it. And so we need to sometimes remember that as far as who we're talking about. Okay? And uh, so it's really interesting when we go through this. We're going to look at verses 15 through 23 of chapter 21. We're going to see the reality of who Jesus is, who he really is. And you're going to be surprised by some of the things that Paul points out, because it might actually be the first time that you ever considered it. So let's look, first of all, at verses 15 through 20 of chapter 1, and we'll go from there. Verse 15 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things are in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Okay. Let's take a look here. We're going to talk about the supremacy of Jesus, the exalted Jesus. The first thing we're going to see is, is that Paul's going to make the point here that Jesus is the image of God. So Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible living God. The reality is, is that when we talk about Jesus Christ, He is the image. He is the image of the invisible God. When you see Jesus, you see God. Do you understand what I'm saying? In fact, when you go through the Gospels, one of the disciples will say to Jesus, Show us the Father! And Jesus' response is, How long have I been with you? Haven't you clued in yet? When you see me, you see the Father? Okay? So this is the point that Paul's making here, is that he is the image of the invisible living God. 
Now here's the other thing. He's described here as, in verse 15, as the firstborn over creation. Now what is that? Firstborn. Now, all of us have the concept of the firstborn, right? Okay, like the firstborn in my household is Maddie, okay? Whoever your oldest child is or only child, that's your firstborn in your home, right? Okay? And, uh, you know, there's certain qualities about firstborns. We, we won't get into that, okay? But you understand them, you know, because the younger ones are totally different than the firstborn. You know, it's, and mostly it's because when we have our first ones, we are so overprotective of them, aren't we? You know? By the time we have four, it's like, what? who cares what happens with the fourth one, you know? You know what I'm saying? Just so he's alive, okay? So he's alive, it's okay. What What is he talking about here, the firstborn over creation? What does that mean here? Well, theologically and biblically, what he's talking about here is that Jesus Christ is, supre- is the supreme ruler over all creation. When you talk about being the firstborn over creation, you're talking about a position of authority. You're talking about who he is with representative to all creation. So Jesus is the supreme ruler over everything. Everything. Now, right now, the world doesn't want to recognize that. Okay? Is that not true? The world doesn't want to recognize that. You know, just look at the news and... It's Christmas season, okay, and people want to get rid of manger scenes outside of public buildings and stuff. Whatever, okay. Because the reality is, as Philippians tells us, Philippians tells us that, chapter 2, that there's going to come a day where what? Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord, okay. Whether they recognize it or not now really doesn't mean anything. I mean, one day they will recognize it, that Jesus Christ is supreme over all creation. Let's look here. He is not just a supreme ruler over all creation. Look at what verse 16 says. This will blow you away. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. All right, let's, let's, first of all, he's creator. Jesus Christ is the creator. Now, how many of you knew that? Well, a couple of you did. Good. All right. A lot of you didn't, and I'm not surprised by that, because we don't usually think in terms of Jesus being the one who created But if you think about it, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Remember, God speaks and says, Let us, let us, plural, create man in our what? Image, that's the Godhead speaking. Who's part of the Godhead? Jesus. Okay? So Jesus is creator. Alright? He was in creation. He created all things in heaven and on earth. Jesus created all things in heaven and on earth. Alright? So when you look at our world today, the wonders of the world, everything about it, He created it. Alright? Let's go on then. It is through Jesus Christ that all things exist. 
The reason why we exist, the reason why you can, you can grab this pew and know that it's solid, okay? The reason why we have air to breathe, everything exists because of who? Jesus. That's the point Paul's making here. He wants you to understand the supremacy of who Jesus Christ is. The superiority of Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus that all things exist. Now here's the interesting one you probably didn't understand. It's kind of like the purpose of the creation. You realize he had a purpose for creating you? And here's the purpose. All things exist for Jesus Christ. So let me just stop for a moment. What do you think that means to you? All things exist for Jesus Christ. What do you think that means? Okay, we're here to glorify Christ, is what Bruce said. Anybody else want to say anything? Different. Add to it. What do you think that means to you? That the reality is, is that all things exist for Jesus. Maybe you're, maybe you're like me. Your head's clouded this morning and you're like, you can't wrap your brain around it. Okay? Anybody else? Yeah, Mike. Yes, that, that's good, Mike. What we, Rob, I saw your hand. Yeah, that's good, good. You know, how many of you, the Presbyterians, uh, the Westminster Catechism, the Shorter Catechism, the very first question says this, what is the chief end of man? And the, the response to the question is, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's reality. Our purpose, the reason why we exist, the reason why you exist is not for you. Get over it. Okay? Because it's not for you. You don't exist for you. You exist to do two things. To bring glory to God. You exist for Him. And you exist to enjoy Him. Now, many of us don't go, we, you know, we, we, we can understand the glorified thing. It's like, okay, I've got to live a certain way. But to enjoy God. Have you enjoyed God lately? Have you enjoyed Him because you see Him answering prayers? You see Him orchestrating things in your life? Have you enjoyed God? Maybe that blows your mind. I would encourage you. You can have a deep enough relationship with Him that you can experience the joy of, of Christ in your life, you know? So all things exist. The reason why we're here is not just to be another church in town. The reason why we're here is for Jesus Christ. We exist for Jesus Christ. The reason why you got saved, folks, is not just to make sure you go to heaven. It's for Jesus Christ. That's what's so awesome. That's how supreme He is. So He created everything and by Him all things exist, and we exist for the purpose of Him. Alright? Now, he goes on, verse 17, look at the first part of verse 17, and he talks about the eternality of Christ. Look at what he says, verse 17, And He is before all things, and in, in, in Him all things consist. So first of all, the eternality. Jesus Christ has always existed. The second person of the Trinity has always existed. Now, 
he didn't exist until he, in a human form until he came in a baby as a baby. But before that, he always existed. That's what's so miraculous about the incarnation is that God Himself would enter into a woman's womb to be born as a child. That's what's amazing about this time of year that we celebrate. Okay, but Jesus has always existed. He will always exist. All right. Now, but then notice something. He's sustainer. Jesus Christ sustains all creation. Hey, you know what? It really doesn't matter what your viewpoint on global warming is. You might believe that it exists. You may not believe that it exists. Okay? I'm not here to talk about the science of that. Okay? Or even what my own position is on it. But I am going to tell you this. You don't need to worry. The world isn't going to be consumed because there was a big hole that opened up in the atmosphere and it burned everything up. Do you understand? Because Jesus Christ sustains everything until a certain point. What point, George? The point when which he returns. Establishes his kingdom. And then when the end of that kingdom, that thousand year rule, this world will be burned up by God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And a new heaven and a new earth will be created. Al Gore is not in charge of the end of the world. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that's just reality. Okay? Nuclear war is not in charge about the end of the world. Jesus Christ is in charge about the end of the world. Do you understand? He is the sustainer. That's the hope you have. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Now, don't go down to sheets as you're waiting in line to get your coffee and you're carrying on a conversation with people. Don't be saying, oh, Al Gore is not in charge of the end of the world. And People are going to look at you like you're an idiot. You know that. Okay? That's for you to have comfort in. Because everybody else can get freaked out. ISIS is not in control, okay? Jesus is in control. That's, that's reality, okay? That's reality. Now, let's go on. Look at verse 18. He's the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. When we talk about the church, we're talking about Two different bodies. We're talking about the universal church, which is every believer in the world belongs to the universal church. Do you understand? Every believer belongs to a spiritual body known as the universal church. But we're also talking about a local church, which is like us, a group of believers who gather together in a local church. There's two representations of the church. Either way, the head of the church isn't the pope. The head of the church isn't a pastor. The head of the church isn't a board. The head of the church is who, folks? Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. He's the spiritual head. And and to be honest with you, folks, when you read the New Testament, he didn't give it up. Okay? He didn't give up his authority over the church. Okay? All you have to do is read the letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and you recognize that when he writes to them, he identifies himself as the one who has authority over the churches and the leaders of that church, Jesus. That's the point Paul's making here. He's the head of the church, okay? Let's go on. He tells us also 
in verse 18 that he's resurrected. Jesus Christ is resurrected and is the first one of those who will be resurrected. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Let me ask you a question. How do you know that you're going to be resurrected when you die? Okay, Bruce said it because Jesus did. The guarantee that you, you know that when you die, there's life afterwards, especially if you have your faith and trust in him. The, how you know that your faith is expressed in reality and that you're going to live beyond this life here is because Jesus is the first of the resurrected ones. Do you understand? Because he was resurrected. And the reality is, you now realize that you are going to be resurrected. Here's a good chapter for you to read on your own. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In there, Paul makes an argument, because the Corinthians were wrestling with whether or not there was a resurrection, and he said, if Jesus Christ didn't... If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we'd all be most main, we'd, we'd all be believing in vain. We might as well just go ahead and party and live like there's no tomorrow. Because the reality is, is there is a tomorrow. The reason why there is a tomorrow is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if you're a believer, you're going to rise from the dead. He is the resurrected one and the first of those who will be resurrected. Now, who, who are those that will be resurrected? Yeah, us, the saints. Do you know what I'm saying? You have to put your... This is where faith comes in. I believe that I'm going to be resurrected because I have faith in who? Jesus. I believe that there is a resurrection because I have faith in Jesus because he is the resurrected one. Do you you understand? Okay? Now, look now. We see the fullness of God. Jesus Christ is fully God in human form. Look at what he says there in verse 19. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. What's it talking about fullness there? It's talking about the fullness of God. In Jesus' human form, he was also fully God. Do you understand that? Jesus was fully man, fully God. There hasn't been anybody else like that before or ever since. He was fully man, fully God. Now let me just stop for a moment. This brings up a good point, because maybe somebody here believes this. Every once in a while I'll meet somebody that says, well, Jesus could have sinned. Jesus could have sinned. Now did he sin? No. Scripture very clearly testifies he was the perfect one. No sin was found in him. But sometimes theologians will wrestle with, young, especially young theologians will wrestle with the reality of saying, well, Jesus could have sinned. No, he couldn't have. Because, he, yeah, humanity can sin, right? Can God sin? No. So here's Jesus who's fully human, but also what? Fully God. There's no way Jesus could have sinned. You can't remove his humanity away from his deity. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it pleased God, God the Father, that all of his deity should be in Jesus. Okay? Jesus Christ is fully God in human form. And then here's the one that is... This is great for you and I. Look at verse 20. And by... 
and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things are on earth or things are in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. He's reconciler. Jesus has reconciled all things because of his sacrifice on the cross. Have you ever come in conflict with anybody? If you're a human being, I'm sure you have. Okay? And you ever been in conflict with somebody where you're not talking to each other? Where you're not happy with each other? Where intense feelings erupt inside of you because of the other person? Now, how many know what I'm talking about? Okay? Alright. We've all been there, right? And, and when there is a problem there, you know, you're not going to get together and go to the ball game together, okay? You're not. You know, you're not going to sit together, oh, can I buy you a hot dog? No, you're not going to do that, okay? Last place you want to be is enjoying their presence where you're wanting to relax. Until there is reconciliation where the two parties can make up. Well, you know what? The reality was is before you got saved, you were at odds with God. You were public enemy number one to him. The Bible describes you as a child of his wrath. What does that mean, George? Well, that means that you basically were going to experience his wrath because of your sin. But God reconciled us to himself. How did he do that? Jesus. Jesus is the reconciler. And it's through his cross, through his sacrifice, that you and I have been reconciled to him. Do you understand? Isn't that awesome? You can have a relationship today with God the Father, not because of you, because you couldn't do enough. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever, ever been in that situation where you know you've done somebody wrong and you're, and you're trying to make it up with them and they just won't grasp the reality that maybe you've changed or whatever and it's just frustrating? You know, that's the way it was with God. You, there's nothing you could do to make that relationship right. Well, Jesus made it right. Because he paid the penalty for you. He's the reconciler. You are reconciled to God through Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So let's look at the last few verses here as we talk about the supremacy of Jesus and look at his reconciliation. So look with me at verses 21 and 23 through 23. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. All right, so let's talk about our reconciliation. Verse 21, he's going to talk about our prior condition. We were once aliens and enemies because of our thoughts and actions. What does aliens mean, George? Well, don't think of a sci-fi movie, okay? Think of like an illegal alien, you know, an illegal immigrant. You know, do you know what I'm saying? No standing whatsoever. And, and the reality is, is that you were his enemy. Why? Because, and notice the, the text says, our wicked thoughts and actions, the key word there, whether you realize it or not, is because you were wicked. Now, we don't like to hear that because we like to think we're what? Good. 
And I'm not as bad as somebody else, you know. Well, you know what? God's not saying, oh, wow, on the, on the measuring meter here, you're doing a lot better than these folks over here. No, he doesn't look and care about what's going on in other people's lives. He's looking at you, and he's realizing, you're wicked. I'm wicked. And I'm deserving of death. And I was separated from him. I was an enemy. That's what he's trying to... You and I need to grasp that. Without Jesus, we are helpless. Do you understand what I'm saying? We take that so, so for granted. Without Jesus, we're helpless. He goes on, and he says, here's what our present state is. Jesus Christ has reconciled us. Isn't that awesome? You couldn't do anything about it. Nothing. It was his work. Do you understand? It's his work that reconciles us to him. Isn't that grace? Getting what you don't deserve. That's what grace is. Getting what you don't deserve. Isn't that awesome? Now let's just stop for a moment. I want you to think about this. How many of us refuse to go to him in prayer or read his word because we think for some reason that he has rejected us now because of stuff in our lives? Because of some mess up? Because of some something that we've done wrong? And we think that he's viewing us in a wrong way. You know, you understand what I'm saying. We, we were alienated from God. Jesus Christ has reconciled us. Okay? He's reconciled us. Let's go on. We have been reconciled through Jesus' death. Do you want to know what the basis of your acceptance with God is? It's not based upon what your education level is. Not based upon what your family you came from. Not based upon how much money is in your bank account. Not what kind of job you have, not what you, anything, not, not any of that. How good looking you think you are. It's based upon purely, your acceptance to God is based purely upon what Jesus did. He died on the cross for you. Had nothing to do with you. Nothing. Isn't that awesome? When are we going to grasp that? You know, we think that, oh, I'm saved because of me. No, you're not saved because of you. You're saved because of Jesus. Do you understand? Because of Jesus. So here's what we see, the purpose. We were reconciled in order to be presented holy and blameless to God. We were reconciled in order to be presented holy and blameless. Isn't that awesome? Now, you might remember the dumb thing you did. You might remember your failure. You might think that God sees you that way, but what, what Paul is telling us here is, is that Jesus reconciled us so that one day when we are presented to the Father, He's not going to see your warts. He's not going to see your shame. He's not going to see your guilt. He's not going to see the terrible things that you've done. He's going to see you and say two things. This one is holy. Think about that. Do you describe yourself as holy? No. And here's the other one. Blameless. I can already guarantee you, you ain't blameless. Let's just ask your spouse, right? Or some other family member, you know? You know, the reality is, is that's how... How, how is it that I can stand before him holy and blameless? It isn't because of me. It's because of Jesus. Now, doesn't that make you want to love Jesus? 
Hey, every one of us here has regrets, don't we? We have regrets. We, we live with them. The enemy constantly reminds us of them. You know, when, you know, when I read in Revelation, it says, chapter 20, that he'll wipe away every tear. It's not just the sadnesses he's going to wipe away. It's the regrets. Isn't that awesome? Man, doesn't that make you want to love Jesus? Do you know what I'm saying? Aren't you glad he came? We were reconciled in order to be presented holy and blameless to God. Let's go on here. This will be true if we hold fast to the hope of the gospel. This is what he's saying here. This is true for those who hold fast. Okay? If indeed you continue in faith, grounded and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. What's he talking about here? This is true if you have what? Faith. Faith. If that's what you're holding on to. My standing, my acceptance with God, my future, my hope is because of who? Jesus. That's what I have faith in. You know, but here's the scary thing. In Bible-believing churches today in North America, this has been true since the late 1980s, more than half of people who claim to be born again believe that they're going to heaven for something other than Jesus Christ. Because maybe they were a good person. Maybe they came from the right family. Maybe they have a going to the right church, or this, that, or another. Folks, you can be from the right family, be with the right education, be a perfect person, and still go to hell. The only way that you're going to go to heaven is because of your faith in who? Jesus Christ and the hope that you have with him. Do you you understand what I'm saying? You ain't that good. Okay? Do you know what I'm saying? You might be good at covering, but you ain't that good. And your acceptance with him is because of Jesus. And so this this will be true if you just hold fast to that. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what it talks about persevering to the end, is that you believe to the end no matter what else happens in life. Do you understand? No matter what else happens in life. So then here's the gospel. The message of salvation is available to be preached to all. That's what the God, he's saying here. It's, it's to be preached to everyone, to every creature. Now, when he's talking about every creature here, he's not talking about telling the gospel to your hamster, okay? Or to the squirrel in the tree when you go hunting, okay? Or to the grouse, or, or to your dog, okay? He's talking, it, it, it's kind, he's, using, he's using a literary tool here to kind of make the point that we need to express it to all humanity, okay? He's using a literary tool here, a device, to express the message of salvation has to be preached to all people. And so then, here's why. Because Paul was a minister of this gospel. That's who he is. Paul expresses, I am a minister of this gospel. Okay? 